We've just heard a bit of a beautiful song. It's a new release from my guest, Ian Janes. It is called Can't Remember Never Loving You. He wrote it along with hit songwriter Byron Hill. And that is a new release from Ian, his version. But it was recorded on the Nashville TV series soundtrack and featured on the TV show itself. It's just incredible. And we're going to talk to Ian about that song and about his album, Yes Man, and many other things. My pleasure now to welcome Nova Scotia's own Ian Janes. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thanks very much, Dave. Appreciate you having me. My pleasure to have you here. And man, I just love this song that was uh, featured on Nashville that you wrote. And you wrote this uh, along with a huge hit songwriter. A lot of people will know his name and definitely know the songs that he's out there, Byron Hill. Tell me about the inspiration behind the song because it comes from a young person who's very special to you. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I have three young children and um, they're always saying all sorts of uh sweet or funny or memorable things that have me running for my phone to record the voice notes so I don't forget the idea. And one one night in particular when my son was five, he's now 10, uh, my wife was putting him to bed and, and as she was turning off his light, he looked up at her very lovingly and said, Mommy, I can't remember when I started loving you. Of course, she wow. melted and uh, and came and told me that and I thought, oh man, well, you know, if that's not the title of a love song, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I had that ruminating around in my head for, for a year or more and then ended up meeting Byron through uh, a co-publisher of mine, Frank Davies. And um, I met Byron, and, and I guess the second time we wrote, I, I told him that story, and he he sort of went, oh, yeah, well, we got to write that. That's beautiful. And he twisted it around a little bit, as only a veteran hit maker can, to make it sing beautifully, and uh, we were done in less than two hours. So there you go. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. Incredible. Uh, and as you said, a songwriter uh, doing it as long as he does knows how to tweak it. So we've got a kind of an internal rhyme. Remember never. Absolutely. Remember never loving you. Which the remember never so really sings. It rolls right off the yeah. tongue just beautifully when you sing it or say it. And uh, yeah, of course, Byron, I mean, God, you know, wrote George Strait's first number one and Born Country for right. Alabama and High Tech Redneck and Nothing On But The Radio. And the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> Yeah, incredible. Uh, I had a chance so to interview Byron uh, sometime in the last couple of years, and you know we talked about those songs and, and others, and it's incredible. I mean, they're all my favorite songs. And tell me about the journey of that song after the two of you wrote it, and how it ended up on uh, the Nashville TV show and on their soundtrack that is out as well. Yeah, well, um, you know, Byron certainly, uh, because of all of the amazing work that he's got in his catalog and has done in his career well-connected fellow, as is his publisher, and uh, as is Frank Davies, who was co-publishing that song with me. And then uh, also, um, I was introduced to Colin Linden, and of course, a great Canadian uh, producer, guitar player, artist, writer, 
everything. And and Colin mm-hmm. works on the show a lot as as a guitar player and as a coach of the the non guitar playing actors to help them look more authentically like guitar players when need be. So Colin and I uh, were in touch, introduced actually via the other great Canadian songwriter Eddie Schwartz who wrote uh, Hit Me With Your Best Shot and all these other amazing songs, Um, that being his most biggest hit. Um, And um, so Colin, uh, I played him some of my new material and some of my demos, and he immediately loved the song and asked if he could forward it on to Buddy Miller, famous guitar player who was also working on the show and producer, and he sent it to the musical um, supervisor for the show and, and mm-hmm. so that was a start and then of course Byron's team was working on them and Frank Davies on my end my publisher was working on them and and so yeah we just sort of uh, they just loved the song and, and we just sort of kept our fingers crossed and kept sending a little uh, persistent email now and then reminding them that we'd <laughs> love to have it in the show and eventually uh, we yep. got the call so uh, we're very grateful for that Incredible uh, has such a special place in the hearts of fans of that show. And when you saw that performance when, when it aired and uh, between uh, Connie Britton and Charles Eston, who, of course, are Raina and Deacon, uh, doing it in the montage and everything that went with that, how did you feel watching your song come to life like that? Well, it was pretty amazing, you know, uh, Dave. And, you know, I actually had a gig that night, and I had ran in just as the episode was starting. And, uh, and yeah, it was pretty amazing, especially amazing to sit and watch it with my wife, who, of course, uh, my family being a really big part of, of my end of that song, and uh, and Byron and I discussing as we were writing it how, you know, the words of a child, you know, uh, can be so pure and, and meaningful, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and we sort of wanted the song to... To, to to reflect that love between a parent and a child, but they also reflect, you know, romantically. And in, in any person that you care very deeply for, um, it, it sort of feels like you can't remember what your life was ever like without them. You know what I mean? Like it almost feels mm-hmm. like you've always had that bond, you know? So So I guess when you write something that's that deeply personal and meaningful to you and then it means enough to other people that they want to use it to tell their story and then it means a lot to the fans of the show who uh, you know, because Raina and Deacon are such beloved characters you know uh, yeah it was mm-hmm. really really quite special you know and uh, it was really cool to see that and um, yeah very moving for sure and and it was really neat that night because in the time since uh, you know that the night it aired. There was a lot of the shows. The fans of the show and Charles Eston Deacon are very active on Twitter, and so Byron and I were involved in the Twitter conversation. And there was a lot of compliments sent back and forth between us and between Charles. And then Charles piped in again there a couple of weeks ago when I released my version and spoke about how much he loved the song and and it was oh, a pleasure wow. to sing. And he and he loved loved hearing my version as well. So so yeah, it was really. A, a lot of warm and fuzzy feelings going on for sure, but you can't help that with a with a meaningful love song inspired by a child. That's for sure. Absolutely, it's amazing the inspiration and and the end result of the song. Uh, let's hear it now. This is your version of it that uh, people can get at iTunes. It's your new single, and of course, it's called "Can't Remember Never Loving You." Here on in the country. It's never been. When I walk this world alone There never was a night That I 
been a part of me forever on this road I've traveled on for so long. It's like you've been the only one for all my life. Like I never looked into another's eyes. Some things never change, never change. Like you've been the only one for all my life. Like I never looked into another's eyes. And that is my guest, Ian James, and his very popular song, his version of it, we just heard, of course, uh, Can't Remember Never Loving You, and it's from the Nashville soundtrack as well, Season 5, Volume 2. You can uh, hear uh, Raina and Deacon's version of it. Uh, this is incredible, and it's so great to have you here. Our listeners can check you out at ianjanes.com. Uh, let's go back in time to when songwriting began for you, Ian. Can, can you remember that first song or two that you wrote? You know what? I can, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they, you know, there there were some sparks there, certainly very rough, like most people's write song, first song that they've written. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, music has been such a massive part of my life, you know, and, and, and just a part of my character and who I am for essentially as long as, as far back as I can remember. So, so I've, I, I you know... I'm always thinking about music, and if I'm not thinking about the actual song, I'm, I produce my own recordings as well, so I'm thinking about the production or the arrangements or 
or uh, you know something, some element of it. So uh, yeah, I I don't really remember when I didn't write music and create music. <laughs> Did do you think in terms of the production as you're writing it, so it's you and your guitar, but in your mind you're hearing that fuller sound and what elements might be in the in the finished product? Absolutely, yeah. I hear the whole thing as I write it usually, and um, that's one interesting thing about co-writing, you know, uh, is that often, uh, you know, it's a combination of visions, but, but many times with a, a co-writer that you're tuned into really well, I mean, I've written probably, I don't know, eight or ten songs with Byron uh, over the last couple of years, and, you know, I'm in Nashville probably three times, four times a year writing, and um Many times we're we're sort of discussing the production for the demo of the song and sort of finishing each other's sentences. You know what I mean about, and we're both <laughs> right on the same page. But but increasingly, as my chops, um, as an engineer and, and working uh, on my laptop in my home studio and on on the computer with with Logic Audio or Pro Tools or anything like that now, any of the the, the systems we use for recording and all of the digital instruments and samples that are available, I'm increasingly writing with the computer and the guitar and everything all in once. You know, I'll probably, more so than I used to, rather than complete a a whole song, um, Mm -hmm. before I start to record it, sometimes I'll have it half done, and then I'll begin, you know, getting the beat together and some of the changes together, and then I'll sort of, increasingly I'm using the technology to help speed up the process. And it's kind of handy because then by the time that the song's done written, it's half recorded too. So it can be a time-saving method for sure. Right. Do you ever write, uh, whether it's you and Byron or or you by yourself or with another co-writer, do you ever think uh, before you start writing the song of a certain artist, if you're thinking in terms of pitching, and let's write it and we'll we'll, write with that intention? Or is it sometimes afterwards when you're done the song, you say, man, this would be a great pitch for such and such? Well, you know, it kind of can go both ways, you know. I mean, it's very difficult now um, sort of to – I mean, many of the artists are writing their own. You know, the business model has changed a lot with, you know, the whole digital economy and the the changes in how – you know the money is made, um, so so a lot of artists are doing their own writing now. So so, um, but but yeah, names always come up, and, and you know so much of it is arrangement based. You know, like you can you can take a song and and change the key and change the tempo and change the arrangement to suit a perfect singer, per, to suit a, a singer perfectly. So I think increasingly, the longer I do it, the more I just try to write something that. That that I really believe in, and that I think is really great, and then I feel that 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 that's the hard part. You know what I mean? Like, and then it, a little bit easier to just figure that out after, because once you got a killer song, then uh, you know you can think of lots of people it'll be great for. But uh, sometimes right. if you get too caught up into, and the other thing too is that you have to keep in mind is that is that you know the writing of the song is a long ways behind it being out and on the charts. So if you're trying to emulate what's on the charts now, by the time your song gets finished, written, demoed, pitched, and recorded by the new artist, well, it'll be moved on to a sort of different sound. You know what I mean? So you're almost better to sort of think ahead of the game. And and if you do do that at all, you know, it's almost better to sort of think, I wonder what the next, sort of take a stab at guessing what the next step is going to be for that artist. (laughs) Because if you try to write what's on the radio now, by the time your song gets out there, that won't be what's on the radio anymore, you know? That's a great point. That's great advice. And and if you write something totally different, 
that's probably going to stand out more to them because it's not the kind of thing they've done every other time. No, I mean, and it's the sort of thing that that is it's real tough. You know, there's there's a lot of luck and there's a lot of timing involved. Um, but you know, luck favors the prepared, and luck favors a really great song. So so you know, you, though that you can control the luck and the timing, yep. a little harder to control. But the quality of the tune and and again, like I mean, looking at this song and it, it being my biggest success to date, to date as a writer. Um, and other songs that I've had really resonate with people, they're usually the ones that mean the most to me. You know what I mean? And and that right. when I, if I'm especially where I'm I'm record I'm sort of you know um, there, there's like you know you take like a writer like Laurie McKenna who's written you know uh, mm-hmm. Humble and Kind for Tim McGraw and Girl Crush and all these other things. Well, Laurie does her own records too. And, you know, and, and she does her own versions of those songs on her records. And, you know, I'm sure the ones that, that she's gotten cut are probably the ones, most of the time, that she feels the she probably delivered the best when they demoed them if she, if she sang the demo. You know what I mean? Like, like I think when you, when, you, when you get, if you get too phony with it, that's going to be sort of apparent. Let's talk about couple of the songwriting successes you have had. Uh, Danielle Bourgeau, a great country artist, and I know that uh, the two of you have written some stuff, and in fact, uh, she's recorded them on her latest project. Yeah, their first single, Lakeside, I wrote with her, and then her new single, uh, uh, which actually isn't even oh yet, is coming out soon, she, uh, so I, wrote, I co-wrote that as well, and then there's another tune on the record called Happy Hour that I co-wrote, and uh, these are all songs, you know, some of them um, I demoed, and when we demoed them, we weren't sure whether she was going to cut them or whether we were going to pitch them, and so we have, you know, male and female versions with her singing a female version and me singing a male version of the demos so that, you know, if we wanted to pitch them, we could, we could, you know, have the two demos to send to, to, depending on the gender of the artist, you know? That's amazing. Great artist, isn't she? Oh, she's great. Yeah, great. And a sweet person, too. Let's talk about the James Barker band. And the two of you, you and James Barker, have written a song together called He Can Have You. It's on your album, and they haven't recorded it yet, but they've been performing it uh, on their tour. So a lot of fans uh, at a lot of their shows have heard this great song. Tell me about writing this song with James Barker. We actually, um, I, uh, the, the, uh, a fellow that... Frank Davies that I mentioned, who was co-publishing uh, some of my songs, his daughter at the time was with Universal, and James was being signed, or was already signed to them, uh, Universal Music Canada, and we got set up in uh, in Nashville on a co-write, had never met before, just the two of us, and uh, went in and uh, and wanted to write something sort of fun and lighthearted and kind of funny, and uh, so we ended up banging banging that out pretty quick, and we both loved it, and they it played it live quite a bit. It didn't end up going on their EP, but there was only four tunes on that, so it was pretty tough to get a spot on there. <laughs> but um, but I just <laughs> loved the song, and, and I ended up cutting it too, and they were okay with that. So, I mean, uh, you know, I've always been a big fan of sort of some of the Americana artists like like John Hyatt or more in the pop realm, uh, Carol King. And, you know, like a lot of those uh, writer artists, you know, like myself, uh, uh, recorded those tunes and and you mm-hmm. know put the soul and the heart into their own versions and then that like I was saying earlier was apparent to other people and other people ended up cutting the tunes and and those other covers becoming the uh, the more well known versions so so that's right. uh, yeah that's certainly uh, those are some idols of mine so any way I can emulate some of those people 
is yeah. just fine with me. I mean, there's a lot of people like that <laughs> in, the, in the business. I mean, Sam Hunt um, had a bunch of cuts as a writer before he released his own records. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's many yep. many examples of that in the business for sure. I'm speaking with Ian Jaynes about his music career. And let's focus in now on your album from January 2017. It's called The Yes Man, and we're going to hear a song from it in just a few moments. Uh, tell me a bit about making the album. It was one of those re- recordings that, um, that you know, like uh, I demoed a bunch of tunes that I intended, some of them I intended for pitching, and then I just, uh, I, I just felt so comfortable and and. and enjoyed singing them so much and felt like they really connected with who I was as an artist that um, that I decided to cut them myself. And, and the, sort of the overall vibe for the record is, I mean, you know, I'm deeply rooted in rhythm and blues and soul, but also grew up around a lot of really classic country. And, and to me, you know, the, the line is very blurry between the two genres. I mean, if you look at like, you know, Conway Twitty was a rock and roll sort of R&B rock and roll singer before he switched over right. in the 50s. Charlie Rich... Uh, very much, you know, soul-based, uh, you know, and smoother brand of country. Ronnie Millsap, I mean, like a lot of those, mm-hmm. Kenny Rogers, a lot of those acts, yep. you know what I mean, are, are a lot of soul in that. And then, I mean, and then, God, you look at the new stuff, I mean, like Thomas Rhett, I mean, a lot of his stuff is, you know, rhythm and blues with a steel guitar, you know? You know, Absolutely. it's not really very, it, you know, it's it's really, really soul, country soul. And, I mean, Stapleton's got a ton of soul, I mean... I mean, and then you know, on the more Americana alt countryside, I mean, Sturgill Simpson's got, uh, you know, the Dap King horns playing on his record, you know. So the the two genres are really closely connected. And interestingly enough, they're geographically really closely connected, too. I mean, like I've met and, and spent, um, met some people from Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and spent some time down there writing as well. Now, Mark Narmore, who I write a lot with, uh, doesn't have any cuts on this record, but probably will in my next Mark wrote, uh, is from Muscle Shoals, and he was at the uh, recently departed um, Rick Hall's uh, Fame Studios. He was a staff writer there and then and ended up getting a cut with Shenandoah, uh, Moon Over Georgia, and then um, ended nice. up writing That's What I Love About Sunday for Craig Morgan. So, And right. he's he's from Muscle Shoals, I mean, and that's a real rhythm and blues hotbed. But, like, I mean, it's only two hours from Nashville. And it, that's home to some of the hottest rhythm and blues to ever hit tape. So, you know, there's a lot of connections between those genres, you know. So uh, I, on this record, I really, really explored that. I mean, then you look at like someone like Ray Charles. I mean, Ray really, really directly went and bridged that gap in the 60s and 70s, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so there really is, uh, there's a lot of, lot of both, uh, you know. And, uh, you know, you look, Elton John. Like Elton John records have a lot of pedal steel and stuff like that on them, Neil Young and all this stuff. So it's, you know, country and soul and all that sort of world are, are so much more connected than people realize sometimes. So I really sort of tried to tried to get there on this record, and, and, and especially with tunes like The Way I Did, He Can Have You, and, and some of those other tunes. They really, really bridge the gap between those genres. Well, let's turn to a song from the album called New Words. And uh, what can you tell us specifically about the songwriting of this one, Ian? Well, interestingly enough, this this tune was written with um, with uh, with Bill and Lonnie Wallace, and, and Bill's uh, from Stouffville, Ontario, and uh, he, best known for being a co-writer on uh, Twenty Six Cents by the Wilkinsons. Yep. 
Classic. And uh, and 1999 by the Wilkinsons and a few yeah. of them. They're quite, quite tightly connected. So uh, my publisher set me up to go write with, with Bill and his daughter Lonnie, who's also a writer. And um, it was interesting, you know, the, the evening before I flew up to Toronto, and that was the first ride I had in being there for a week, I, I had really nothing to go on for this for this session I was like geez I gotta I gotta get some ideas together I don't want to walk in there with no ideas <laughs> and so I went out to the studio and sat down for a few hours and started this one and wrote all the way up to the chorus and uh the day that I walked into the right I said well what do you think of this and I played it up to the chorus and they loved it and uh, away we went so so yeah this is again it's a real sort of kind of soulful country kind of kind of sound and has a really sort of a more of an R&B groove but then it has acoustic guitar and it has Russ Paul who's uh, played on virtually I don't know how many million country records he's played on all Luke Bryan and Brooks and Dunn and everything else playing anyway he's on there mm. playing the steel guitar and he really really helps tie tie the, the, the muscle shoals and the southern soul to the Nashville country vibe so uh, yeah I really love this one it's one of my favorite tunes to sing Cause my heart won't stop pounding 
And that is Ian James with the song New Words. It is found on his album, Yes Man. You can get that at iTunes. And he wrote that along with Bill Wallace and Lonnie Wallace. And you know what? They're both incredible songwriters. And, I, of course, I grew up um, watching CMT and knew Lonnie Wallace's song that I loved called Thought I Was Dreaming and some other releases she had. A couple of years ago, I got to interview her, and then I met her in person, and I've been at several of her shows since. I met her dad as well. She's an incredible vocalist. Oh, she's an amazing singer. Yeah, on the original work tape for this, there's she puts some beautiful harmonies on this one for sure. Yeah, she's a great singer. Uh, it, it's incredible. Co-writing obviously is, is a big part of what you do. Any tips you have, Ian, for somebody going into a co-writing session, uh, maybe who, ha- who hasn't done it before, wh- how prepared should they be? What should they take with them? Um, well, in Nashville, if it's in Nashville... That style of writing is usually very title based, so you you know you write from a title we call it. So you'll have a list of uh, like in the case of can't remember never loving you. I had a, a very similar to what the title ended up being, and then like I said, Byron twisted it around to sing a little better, and and then um, and then the song sort of writes itself in a lot of times because you'll both basically lo- look at that title, and once you find one that you like. You both have, um, you know, you might have sometimes have very different, and that's happened with Byron, happened with lots of people. I have a title, and I have a certain idea of what the song will will be like in terms of the way the story is told. And then, you you know, you get up to go get a drink, a cup of coffee, and you walk back, and they go, oh, you know, I was thinking about that, and I don't really (laughs) see it that way. What if it was like this? And, And, you know, often it's like, wow, geez, I never thought of that. I love it. Let's do that. You know, so... Having some titles, having some ideas, having a few uh, chord changes and, 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 and riffs or melodies you like are always good. But, but sort of having a clear, uh, you know, a title and or a sort of a clear idea of, of what you want the song to be about is always helpful. Um, you know, and, and having, you know, a, a few tricks to, uh, to pull out to, so that you can feel like you're doing your fair share of, of contributions. <laughs> And uh, as far as taking trips down to Nashville, as you said, you do three or four times a year, uh, do co-writing and make connections and all that good stuff. For anyone listening who is a singer-songwriter and hasn't made that trek yet to Nashville for a week or two, uh, how would you pitch that to them? How important is it uh, for their music career? Well, it it is important. I mean, you know, like it's such a mecca that, that you know the the flip side and, and what makes it difficult is that there's you know thousands of people just like you trying to all do the same thing so the more homework you can do the better uh you can if you're a member of socan which you should be um you can reach out to them and 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 if you can yep. find some supporters within that organization they can help you make some connections same with your your US um affiliate either ASCAP CSAC or BMI which 
are the companies like SoCan in the U.S. that collect your royalties. Again, you can reach out to them. And, uh, and, and increasingly, as record companies are spending less money on development, those uh, performing rights organizations are doing more. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a pro if you can find you know, a domestic um, publisher that has some connections down there that wants to set you up on rights. That's helpful. Going out and playing open mics and stuff like that, it's another way that you can do it down there. But the more sort of, you know, you want to go with with sort of a, uh, I would say, I don't know if I'd call it a guarded optimism, but, but you know, you don't want it to expect to happen quickly, you know. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, you want to, you want to be realistic that it, that there's a lot of other people doing exactly what you want to do, and you you really want to just take your A game and uh, and try to chase down every possible chance of a connection you have down there because uh, there's certainly a lot of competition. And if you're an artist as well, trying to maybe get a showcase at you know at Americana conference or or some other uh, related performance opportunity, that's a good idea too because you know um, the more you can you know, the the more you can play, your your relationships just start to multiply. If you're if you're good, your relationships will start to multiply. It's really a lot of small moments along the way, isn't it? It's the connections, the great performances, but it's not that one moment that you're discovered that you know people dream about or they watch a show like American mm-hmm. Idol. That one moment, it's it's all the stuff that leads up to it, and hopefully that big moment comes at some point. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of small mm-hmm. moments along the way that you. Uh, hold on and stay in the game and just do your best till till that happens. Yeah, absolutely. The name of the game is to stay in the game, right? That's what a friend of mine <laughs> says. And that's so true. You want to try to stay in the game and 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 really like look at each opportunity um as just that, as an opportunity and like what can I do to what can I do to maximize this? I can, you know, make sure I'm not late. I can come in with a bunch of ideas. I can you know, uh, you know, look half decent and have my guitar sound and half decent and and have a good list of titles and and uh, you know the, you know any any little thing you can do in in something as ruthlessly competitive as the music business, you need to take advantage of every asset you have and and amplify Absolutely. it as much as you can. You know. As we get set to wrap up here, Ian, uh, do you have any musical goals for 2018 or even beyond that? Uh, something you haven't accomplished yet, something you would like to see happen with one of your songs or uh, with a performance somewhere? Well, um, I'd like to get into doing more playing uh, south of the border, you know, in Nashville and uh, and and within Canada. You know, always good to play more shows and uh, yeah, and just keep writing keep writing better and better songs and and I think that if you keep writing better songs and keep putting them out there I mean you you have to believe that it'll go somewhere and also you know the biggest thing is is to try to enjoy it you know because it's really very hard you know what I mean and 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 if you're sort of you know and and it's not easy for for anyone to do this in any aspect of your life but but I think we're all trying as we go along and as the older we get, we more we try to sort of enjoy what you're doing while you're doing it rather than spending all your time expecting to be satisfied once you reach some specific achievement. You know what I mean? 
because right. that can oh. be sort of because then then you're just gonna then once you reach reach that achievement you're gonna be looking for the next one and so you know that's not to say to not yep. be uh, ambitious but uh, you know you don't want to sort of look back and say geez I was just uh, spent all that time waiting to get to the next place you know so and I, I have a young family mm-hmm. you know three kids under twelve so. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be so narrowly focused on my career goals that I sort of miss out on enjoying that. But I also want to model to them that it's important to be persistent and work hard to achieve what you want to personally and professionally. So I guess, uh, you know, my biggest goal for 2018 is to keep keep in the game, keep working hard at it, and, and keep my life in balance as I possibly can. <laughs> that is awesome, Ian. Thank you so much for being here to share some of your songs with us and some great stories from your career. And uh, I wish you all the best, and I look forward to talking again in the future. Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you, and I appreciate your support of of songwriters and music. Once again, my guest has been Nova Scotia's Ian James. You can check out his album, Yes Man, at iTunes. And, of course, his brand-new single is his version of the song that he and Byron Hill wrote that was featured in the Nashville TV series. It's called Can't Remember Never Loving You. I'm Dave Woods, and that'll wrap up this edition of In the Country.